Thanks, Jedediah and team. What an awesome song. You guys could just do that for every offering for a while until we get sick of it, because that is an awesome song. Good morning. I've been a little bit under the weather, and I am having difficulty <clears throat> speaking, so that doesn't bode well for preaching, but uh, let's pray and see if we can resolve that. Let's pray. So Lord, would you uh, be present in our midst? I guess I want to thank you that you're present in our midst. Lord, we invite you here to open up our hearts and our minds. Lord, thank you for already the way you're speaking and working through Tony and that baptism. Lord, such an important uh, chapter in your revelation. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Lord, would you help us to hear what you're saying to us as a community of faith, to us as individuals, Holy Spirit? In your name we pray, amen. When was the last time that you were really frightened? Early in uh, Kendra and I's relationship, she learned that uh, me and the kids liked to uh, scare one another when we'd come home, you know, we'd hide behind the door and jump out and scare and frighten one another. Kendra really loved it when I did it to her. And then it was funny that Paige kind of got the idea, so she started scaring Kendra as well, which she really loved. But Kendra picked it up, and she's given us, uh, all of us, a good scare every once in a while. When was the last time that you were really scared that there was a time that you were shook, like the core of who you were, the, the, your soul, Deep down in the depths of your soul, you were shook. Um, I remember uh, there's been a few times when we lost unexpectedly my dad in 2002. My mom happened to be uh, visiting us in Chula Vista outside of San Diego, and uh, my dad uh, passed away, and so... Uh, when uh, they called and told my mom, my mom said, Eric, I don't, I don't know if I can, I can make it through. And there was this, I was shook from the loss of my dad, but especially on behalf of my mom, it was a, a life entering, uh, uh, a life changing, a soul shaking moment in there. Um, I remember uh, 9-11 when that was unfolding and turning on the news and seeing the towers go down. Uh, it, it, that shook the entire nation. And a, a realization that 
perhaps there was an evil in the world that we did not realize. When our kids lost their mom last year, that was another soul-shaking moment, especially for our kids, just unsure of what that meant and what the future held. We're going to be looking at the second part of the book of Daniel. And Daniel, there's a transition here. The first six chapters have been what's called a historical narrative. And, and we've looked at Daniel's life. It's been neat chapters where, where Daniel and friends and, and many of the leaders of uh, uh, within Judah, the nation of Judah or Israel, they were exiled, they were removed from Israel, uh, from Jerusalem, their homeland, into a foreign land, a, a, a foreign king, and nothing that they know of their religious experience and practices is the same. It would be a, a soul-shaking moment for them. And we've seen them live the life of the children of God in a foreign land. It's been tremendous. That was the first six chapters. In the latter six chapters, it's, it's kind of like a, a Daniel part two because there's a transition. One, the first six chapters are in the language, they were written in the language of Aramaic. That was the universal language of that time as if this was stories that all the world should know especially because you have these pagan kings that are seeing how God has the back of Daniel and all these, uh, uh, the Jewish leaders and people there, and the pagan kings proclaim Jesus, or proclaim God as the one true living God, right? In chapter 7, which we're going to read, it transitions even to a different language, into Hebrew as if this second part of Daniel is primarily for the children of God, for those who are in the know. And in fact, it's going gonna, it's gonna to transition from historical narrative to, to what is known as prophetic or apocalyptic type literature. And it's going to be a revelation. Don't put the verses on yet because they won't listen to me. I saw you all reading, and I'm like, no, pay attention here. We'll get to there. We move from historical fiction, or not historical fiction, historical narrative to, did you hear what I said? To what? To what? See, you weren't paying attention, were you? You were reading the verses. To prophetic or apocalyptic literature. All right? And so this is a different kind, a different form of literature. So been reading the, the, the history of Daniel, but then there's a transition of this picture of the future. And what God is actually going to do is he is going to give Daniel a picture, a revelation of the future, of how the future will unfold. This is the 6th century BC, and he's going to unfold the future even to the end of time. 
And so many consider this one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament, that it links much together, and so that's a bonus for coming out on a snowy day, right? All right, and, and so it's this, this picture, and what's interesting is Daniel's gonna receive this dream. He's gonna get a picture, and it's gonna shake his soul. It's going to be terrifying to him. And yet, I want to suggest that in hindsight, as we read this chapter that indeed is terrifying, if if you get it in your mind what he sees, that actually hindsight, in reading this from a New Testament perspective, it can actually be a chapter that is comforting. That, that I want to suggest that this chapter, even though there's certainly terrifying elements of how the future will unfold, that in times of distress and struggle, in times of even doubt, that this chapter might be, you might be able to go back to Daniel 7 and receive some of God's peace. Maybe your faith would increase your trust because of this. Because we can read it from a New Testament perspective. So let's see. We're going to just read it verse by verse here. Um, And we're not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to just read um, sections of it. And Daniel is going to get the dream. Don't put the verses up yet. Daniel's going to get a dream, all right, and then it's going to shake him, and then he's going to ask for understanding, and then we believe an angel is going to unpack the events. He's going to say four kingdoms are revealed. So let's walk through these four kingdoms. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. All right, now we're ready. says, in the first year of Belshazzar's, <laughs> sorry, my uh, nose is full and it's hard to pr- pronounce sometimes these difficult words, but it's important to note that this is actually not following a timeline. So this dream was given in the first year of the king, so before the events of chapter five, Okay. Daniel had a dream, and a vision passed through his mind as he was lying in the bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts each different from the other came out of the sea. Oftentimes the sea in uh, apocalyptic literature represents chaos and the world and things being churned. So the four winds are churning the chaos and up from the sea, these four beasts come. Daniel said, uh, let's see, verse four. The first was like a lion, the first beast, And it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off 
and it was lifted from the ground so that stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. All right, let's pause right there. So this is the first picture of the beast, the first beast. And the lion with the wings on its back represents, we're told later, King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. All right, where Daniel had already experienced, he's in Babylon, experienced King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and it uses, in fact, images of lion and eagle. Later, um, in Jeremiah, let's see, Jeremiah 49, the prophet would use those same Im images to describe Nebuchadnezzar. And the wings being torn off, if you remember in chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. And then he learns, he becomes like an animal. And then he's restored, his humanity is restored, the heart given to him. So the wings are torn off, he's, he's humbled, heart given, and then he proclaims God as the one true living God. So in this visual picture, Daniel sees the king Nebuchadnezzar Babylon. He's already lived through that period, but that's what this first beast represents, is King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, verse 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, so it's lopsided, and it had three ribs in the mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. It's kind of scary, right? We're going to be told later by the angel, and then in chapter 8, this is um, actually uh, a second kingdom, kingdom Medo-Persia kingdom, and King Cyrus is pictured here. Many theologians believe that because of its, its lopsided, it's because the Medo-Persian kingdoms, uh, Persia was much stronger um, um, in it. And the three ribs in its mouth um, represent what many historians think is that they would conquer, um, God would allow the Medo-Persian kingdom to conquer first uh, Babylon in 539 BC and then Lydia and then Egypt. So it would conquer. This was prior to Dan, uh, Daniel's experience. So this is future looking um, uh, where he's going. All right, verse six. Look at verse six with me. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And he guesses what that kingdom was. You probably heard it in your high school history classes of this king. Greece, yes, Alexander the Great. All right. Pictured here that was coming. And actually, a lot of, most scholars believe the four, it has four wings and four heads. And what that represents is the, the speed and power in which Alexander 
would conquer most of the known world. In fact, um, it was in, let's see, it was in 33, uh, 334 BC that um, Alexander would invade Asia, Asia Minor and within 10 years, he would conquer the known world. The famous historian Plutarch said this of Alexander, when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, you might have heard this, remember, in your high school English class, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Now, when Alexander died, then uh, the, the, the vast kingdom was ultimately split up uh, and ruled by four generals. Many, many uh, theologians believe that's the four heads of the leopard. All right, verse 7 and 8. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its vic victims <clears throat> and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So this fourth kingdom that has ten rulers and then an eleventh uh, ruler that comes... Is, um, is often seen as, any, any guesses? Rome, yes, that comes. And this kingdom is so terrifying that, that Daniel can't even find or picture a, an animal from creation with that. And Daniel is very upset with that. Um, many are unsure about the ten rulers. There were actually 12 uh, Caesars that would come in Rome, um, Julius Caesar being the first one, but two of those Caesars would only rule for 10 months. So some believe that the 10 were represented in the Caesars, but many believe that the 10 rulers are still yet before us. We'll talk about more about that in just a moment. Daniel is so upset and he's shook, we're told, and he especially wants to know about this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, and the little boastful horn that's a part of that. So we're given a little bit more revelation. Jump down to verse 19, and we're going to read that. Verse 19 says, Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and its bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. 
as I watched this horn was waging war against the holy people, the children of God, and defeating them. All right, also jump down to verse 24. 24, he shares a little bit more, the angel. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. All right. Now, you can understand why Daniel was shook, why he was unsure. You're saying, what is going on? What's happening? You've got these ferocious and terrifying kingdoms. And then, in the interpretation, these kingdoms, or especially this little horn, is persecuting the children of God. What is happening? Now, there's a principle in apocalyptic literature that I want us to try and wrap our heads around this morning, and we'll talk more as the, the weeks unfold. And that principle is, is that oftentimes in history, as we look at past history, there's a, at least a partial fulfillment of the words revealed, of the pictures revealed. A partial fulfillment. And yet, at the same time, those partial fulfillment acts as a foreshadowing of the full completion of these words that will happen at, at the end of all things. Many people believe. So it's a, it's a picture. We see some reality. So this little horn is a good example of that principle. This little horn was said that there would be a king that would arise that would do these horrible things and oppress God's people. In fact, there is a person in history, he was a, a Greek and Syrian ruler, and his name was Antiochus IV. Antiochus, he would persecute the Jewish people to a far degree. We'll get into that persecution a little bit more in the coming weeks. But all, this is what you need to know mainly. He adds to his name Epiphanes. Epiphanes means God manifest. He wanted to add that to his name and say, hey, God manifest. And he would try and remove all the laws. He would sacrifice actually a swine, a pig, on the temple of God. And in history... He was seen as a at least partial fulfillment of the vision that Daniel was seeing. And yet, at the same time, this he leads to a foreshadowing, a pointing into the future of what we would experience. In fact, what Daniel, what Daniel is experiencing here is, in one sense, a timeline from his life to when the Messiah would come. We're going to see that he predicts the coming of the Messiah. And yet, at the same time, he lays out a timeline that you and I are still in that brings us all the way 
to the end times. All right? For example, many identify this little boastful horn as the Antichrist. And we're told that the spirit of the Antichrist has been at work in history. Revelation, the book of Revelation, which gives us much uh, greater understanding of end times, in chapter 13, we see a picture of the Antichrist. And let me see if you notice any connection between what we've just read in Daniel 7 and the end times. This is a picture of the Antichrist who is yet to come. So uh, Revelation 13 reads, do we have that on the screens? A dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Do we have a revelation uh, in the outline? Go forward a, a few screens. There it is. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. What does the sea represent in apocalyptic literature? Chaos, right? So the dragon is Satan himself. And he sees, he's standing on the shore as if summoning out of the sea a beast, or many believe is a picture of the Antichrist. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. Doesn't take a, a biblical theologian to see the connection there, right? That the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist has been at work in this world in chaos. And so we'll see the work of of the enemy throughout history, and yet there is a particular person. Some of you will remember when we were in uh, the series of Paul, End Times According to Paul, Second Thessalonians, he talked about the man of lawlessness. First John 4 talks about these different pictures of the Antichrist, that though the Antichrist has been at work, though we see that in, in chapter 7, that there is an ultimate particular person saw that this horn spoke, right? So there's a particular person in history that will be revealed that wrote, uh, represents the culmination of evil in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist in one sense has been at work in the world and yet in another sense we're yet to see that final person. All right. Now, many of you are saying, Pastor, you said we could receive great comfort from this chapter. I've got absolutely no comfort whatsoever so far. It's just been terrifying and evil, yes? All right. That's because we've only read the terrifying parts of the chapter, all right? right in what could be argued is one of the most terrifying chapters in all of Scripture. The Lord includes in the vision of David, uh, Daniel, 
That's the drugs speaking, if I'm missing the names. All right. He includes in the picture of Daniel what I believe are these inc incredible comforting. He, he wants to work even as we're wrestling with these terrifying pictures. He wants to work a peace, a faith, a longing, and even a purpose within us. All right? Let's get to those verses. Look at uh, verse 9 and 10. This is right after we just walked through the four kingdoms and, and then the little horns. And then verse 9, it says this. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Any guesses who the Ancient of Days is? It is God. Yes, it's God. God himself takes a seat. So actually, what, what Daniel sees is almost like a curtain being drawn open, the curtain between uh, heaven and earth, and he gets a glimpse of the throne room of God. It says, And the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. It's a set throne, and yet there's wheels that are ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. In fact, it's like there's too many to count. Too many. If you could think of many, multiply those, and you just see this host of heaven surrounding the throne room that is ablaze. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I love that uh, that phrase, the court was seated and the books were open. What does that mean? Right in the midst of this chaos and this struggle, we see that God, no matter what is happening on the earth, no matter how terrifying, no matter how uh, things that are disillusioning us in this life, God is in in control, that he is over every aspect of history. It points us actually to, yet again, the book of Revelation. We're told that the end of times we get a picture of the great white throne. We'll read this. This is Revelation 20, 12. We go there. It says, and I saw the dead. This is John speaking, and he gets a picture of the throne room as well. Can we go to Revelation 20, 12 on the screens? And John gets this picture. It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, there's a couple of books that are going on. One book is the book of life. And that's if, if, you're, if you've asked Christ into your life, right, as Tony did, then if you are a Christian, 
then your name is written on the book of life. When you face the great white throne, you want your name written in the book of life, okay? But that's not the books that Daniel is talking about, Daniel 7 is talking about. He's talking about the other books that are found in Revelation 20. That's known as the book of deeds. And everything that every woman and man does is recorded in those books. In other words, there's nothing that happens in this world that God is not sovereign over. There's nothing that happens to you and me that is not filtered through his fingers. That even though there are acts of injustice and struggle in this world, ultimately from a, world, uh, from a uh, kingdom perspective, from a heavenly perspective, God brings justice and good to all events. No matter what happens, God is in control. You know, I was feeling a little bit of stress and struggle because of some of the denominational things that are happening. My concern for some of the churches of our denomination and what will happen to our denomination and how will the churches process all that's happening. And then Pastor Gabby from Lebanon comes. Many of you got to experience his message and experience him as a delight and wonderful. And, and he was sharing about how Lebanon is in such a dire place right now, un, unlike any other time. Even civil war, when uh, Beirut was just cast in the civil war, he said it's 10 times worse right now because the country is bankrupt, because there's all these political t tensions. You can't get your own money out of, uh, out of the bank. They, they allow $100 a week. No one knows what's going to happen because of the corruption. You've got the refugees that have come in. Come in. You've got the uh, Islamic terrorists that are, are, are present and attacking Israel. And it's, it's just, it's mayhem right now. And then to hear him say, boy, I am excited for what God is doing in Lebanon. I would say it was a wee bit convicting on my part. It was like he was saying that, yes, from a worldly picture, it's chaos, it's struggle, and yet Gabby had this picture from, from God that God was stirring and he was in control and he was at work. He is at work in Lebanon and he can't wait to see what God is doing, how he is for sure upsetting the apple cart. He's upsetting politically and all these things and the banking system and all these things and they don't know. They have Christians that are leaving and he's saying to the Christians, hey, are you sure you want to leave? Because I believe this, this this is a God moment in Lebanon. What would it look like if the most distressing things in our life, we said, okay, God, I'm excited. What are you going to do 
in this difficulty and in this moment? How are you going to work? What the world sees as devastating and terrifying, and, and I feel it in my bones, what are you going to do in the midst of this? I think that this would create a great peace. That was what, Gabby I, I legitimately was at peace. He was not, he, he didn't want to leave Lebanon. He wanted to get back to Lebanon because they were praying for Lebanon. So I'd ask you, what in your life is a source of stress that, that's maybe even terrifying in your life? You're unsure how this will unfold. And yet you need this throne room perspective. You need this idea that God is on the throne and nothing happens outside of his sovereign view and control. There's a Another group of verses that I think is really beautiful in the midst of this frightening chapter. Look at verse 13 of Daniel 7 with me. Again, we get a picture of the throne room. And then it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Three guesses who this is a picture of. Yes, Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Right in the midst of this terrifying and frightening unfold, of history, we see Jesus, that he comes and God grants him, he's the only, we sang about it earlier, he's the only one that can enter into the, the ancient of days, the presence of God, and God grants him the kingdom. In fact, did you notice that phrase, coming with the clouds of heaven in Jesus's when he was here, his earthly ministry, and he's being accused, he's about to face the cross, and the religious leaders are trying to find accusation against him. It says this in Mark 14. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. What do you think that was a reference to? Daniel 7. They recognized it, that Jesus is the one, he is the one who's coming. That, guess what title Jesus used of himself most often in his earthly ministry? the Son of Man. He was pointing to this idea. To be a Christian means that we get to claim Christ. We get to 
hitch our wagon to Christ. We get to be on the winning team. Whatever phrase you want to say, we get to connect our lives to Jesus who we have been told wins, that he conquers, that he overcomes every evil or struggle or pain or difficulty that we experience in our lives. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But guess what? We get to claim that today. We get to say, Jesus is our Savior. I think that's a benefit that we often miss and don't take advantage of. We don't turn to Christ. I've shared this before. I think it's important to repeat. When, I, when I'm having those moments of struggling in my faith, when oftentimes it's because the struggle is so significant, and I begin to wonder, God, is this, are, are you really there? Are you paying attention why, why are you allowing all of this? I almost, I've learned, one of the disciplines I do is I turn to Jesus. He is the physical, he, even though God is spirit, he was the one that was manifest on this earth. And he's the one that I root my faith in. I root my relationship with God. I root my understanding of who God is and the life he's called me to live in Jesus Christ. He's the son of man and the son of God and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. Is there a situation in your life that's frightening and terrifying that you need to invite Jesus into that you need to ask Jesus help me understand this from your perspective Jesus I need you right now I need your spirit the spirit of Christ in my life and finally right in the midst of this terrifying chapter are some pretty incredible verses verse 17 would you look with me? We'll read. The, the angel who's translating this vision says this. The four great beasts are four kings who will rise from the earth, but, verse 18, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Now jump down from Daniel 7 from verse 18 to verse 26. And it says in verse 26, but the court will sit, the court will sit, and his power will be taken away completely and destroyed forever, the Antichrist. Then the sovereignty power and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the most high his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the rulers will be will worship and obey him all right who are the holy people of god in daniel 7 
Look at your neighbor and say, you. And what does he say about the holy people of God? Yes, they will face persecution from the little horn, but also what does he say about the holy people of God? You possess the kingdom. He says, you get it. You get to, not only does Jesus win, but you win as well. He says, we get to be people of the kingdom. Jesus said this. He said, but seek first his kingdom. This is Luke 12. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Can we go to uh, verse 12? Because it's so important. Later down on the screens, uh, Luke chapter 12 in the PowerPoint. It says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Also, what's been a verse that's been really important to me and is now, I believe, important to the days of the kingdom folks, the class that we're in, says when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That his desire was that we would not only possess the kingdom, that we would not only long for a day when all the chaos was removed, all the difficulty was taken away, but that today would be a part of God bringing the kingdom to earth today. That we as a church get to live in the hope of Daniel 7. That we get to pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to brag on, just for a moment, um, our Days of the Kingdom class that we were meeting and they're not only learning about the kingdom and life in the kingdom, but then this past Wednesday night, we invited people to pray for one another. And we, we started to pray for one another about quarter till eight. I figure 15 minutes of them praying for one another would be good. We're, we're learning that. We broke into three small groups. I look up from my small group, and it's 8.30. All three of the gr groups were pressing in and praying for the kingdom of God. I got this picture, let's just show it real quick. I have a clip that I, I was, I thought this is symbolic of the, uh, of what was happening on Wednesday night. Do we have the, uh, that short video that's there? I wanna speak through it. Go ahead and play the video. So remember the C, the C, is chaos, that little jet ski is the Holy Spirit. And then when you have possession of the kingdom, instead of you being overwhelmed by the waves of the broken world, 
this is what we get to do. All right. Was that a cool visual for you? Like Daniel 7 feels a lot like this. The world can feel a lot like that. And yet God says, it's okay. I've planned it out. I know it. I'm on the throne. I'm at work. I will be with you. And here's the good news that because of my son, Jesus Christ, you get the kingdom and you get to possess it and ride the wave. Even now, you get to be at work bringing my kingdom in the midst of the stress and the pain and the struggle. So let's ride the wave, shall we? Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit. Is there a, a circumstance in your life that you're feeling stress? It could be a, could be a physical diagnosis of so, some sorts. Could be a relationship that you're wrestling with. It could be a loss that you're experiencing. Not sure of the way out. You're not sure what God is doing. You could be unemployed. You could be experiencing angst at your job, in your marriage. Maybe you have to face something that you're unsure of how you'll face it. I do believe that the Lord wants to work peace within you in this circumstance. wants to increase our faith in Jesus in this circumstance.
know, because this is a, it's a different Sunday, it's about half of us that are normally here, less because of the weather. Look at this as yet another bonus of you coming. I just wanted to give us an opportunity to pray for one another. Maybe in, as a couple to pray together. Um, maybe as families. Maybe there, there's a few of you that are here by yourself. Would you just kind of find find someone near you down the row and and if you would just rather pray by yourself that's okay just say to the person that's tapping you on the shoulder just say I'm going to pray by myself but those of you willing to take a risk would you would you just kind of pair up with some folks would you tell them how you need prayer just let the worship team play instrumentally for a little bit would you just spend a little bit of time praying for one another we'll give you a few minutes to do that so I was thinking you might actually stand up and walk to one another just give it a try